live. Okay. So, and then throughout the week and stuff, I'll put together like some sort of uh, intro music and all that stuff. Oh, I mean, that's just another thing we got to do. But I just got to make sure that it, okay. So it's shown that we're live. I'm making sure that. Well, I'm making sure that all three of us can hear it. Well, now it's, hold on. I'm just. Okay, well, I don't, I think, I think it gets me audibly. This is just test run, but can either of you guys hear yourselves on it? Um, I'm going to turn my volume on real quick. Yeah, let me check. Yeah, mute yourself on Skype. Okay. Woo. And then I keep. Okay, cool. All right. So anyway, we're just watching ourselves now. <laughs> All right, so Chris, do you, I guess you want to do the intro then? Just the, the first introductions and everything? Uh, this is your project. This is. Um, I'm so appreciative you guys are here. Um, so, my name's Chris. I uh, am a former professional musician, just trying to make it in the real world now. Uh, um, the way people interact with each other. Um, and I've been over the last few years, I've been getting um, more and more disheartened by what I feel like is happening in the political landscape, um, at least socially speaking. Um, and um, I wanted to uh, get something going to open a dialogue with some people who are smarter than me, because I'm a genius type and I'm hoping to learn. And I reached out to a few people, and lo and behold, I got two of them. And... Uh, I'm really appreciative that they are here with me. So I thank you guys very much. So that's sort of the spiel behind Illusions Destroyed. That's the... Sure. Just, so yeah, thank you so much for uh, asking me to be a part of this. I, Garrett Vassell, formerly spent what, four years writing news and politics for what many would consider hardcore right-wing news sites. Went into it not... You know, I was actually super, I would consider myself very liberal when I first started. And uh, then over time, just, it's not so much of a, well, I wasn't like, my mind wasn't altered by, you know, necessarily the people constantly, but just seeing how ridiculous uh, my arguments were for things like, you know, I mean, we talked last night about abortion and, you know, typical hardline points of the left, where if you don't agree with us on these certain things, then you're not really a liberal. So and uh, over time just got pushed further and further to the right. And now I'm so far right, I'm an anarchist. I don't want any laws for anything. So that's pretty, that's who I am. That's what I do now. So just a hippie looking conservative dude. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, another thanks to Chris from, from my end for asking for my participation. I'm so excited about it. Um, like I was telling you guys earlier, having to, having the ability to carry on my regular channel and then also do this so I can 
do those two facets of life that are really important to me, I'm so excited. Um, so I'm Tasha Rose, and I am a stay-at-home mom, a homeschooling mother, um, you know, all things domestic, and I am also an unwitting political rabble-rouser, I guess. Um, <laughs> just really involved locally here in Minnesota with politics, and uh, in the course of the last 18 months, two years roughly, um, kind of ousted from the political party that I have been a part of since I was 18 years old. And um, for for the, the simple crime of asking what is a woman. <laughs> so, um, you know, that kind of set a whole bunch of things in motion to get me to where I am right now. And I wouldn't call myself a liberal now if you paid me, um, but I'm not exactly a conservative either, though I have got very conservative opinions about things. And I really just, I really just feel like um, the fog has lifted for me and it's not really even about left or right for me anymore. And realizing that this duopoly is really what's keeping us all fighting all the time is kind of what's gotten me to where I'm at today. So I'm glad to be here with you guys and um, really excited about what we're gonna do. So I guess, Chris, you're the one steering the ship of this whole thing. Well, okay. So that article that I wrote yesterday about the trans, you know, just the chick who now is a dude who is saying that men can have periods and I've been getting into it on medium with this girl who, uh, the vice story was about, about her, like, or him becoming a her and then skating, uh, all over the country, just like skateboarding cool whatever but anyway she keeps coming i all i said was you know uh men can't menstruate because men don't have uteruses and then she just kept sending me all these links from all these different opinion pieces and how uh you know oh, men definitely can't have periods and uh she's saying that because i'm not agreeing with her that I, oh i must not be you know reading the facts and you know as learned so it's i'm kind of confused right now I mean, first thing that pops into my head is what do they define as a period? Well, that, and I, I said my whole argument stemmed around like you can't, dudes can't bleed right. out of, because they don't have a uterus, they don't have a vagina. So right. that's my whole point. And so I don't know how I can get, how anyone can deliver pushback to that. Well, they decided, they've decided recently that because they, so many, um, so many men who are identifying as trans because they're on hormone replacement and they have symptoms that go along with putting artificial hormones into their body that that means that they're having a period and they're trying to differentiate the word period from menstruation and they're saying well ours is a cyclical thing that comes periodically thus it's a period well no it's not you are having side effects to toxic chemicals that your body doesn't naturally produce. That's what's happening. It's not a period, it's not menstruation, it's not a cycle, it's none of the above. It's just reactions that your body is having because you're not supposed to have these things in your body. Well, she, it is. And she keeps coming back at me just like, 
constantly saying, oh, you know, this is, I don't know why you have to be so hateful and why you're spewing such hate. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand how facts equal hate. Biologically speaking, it is absolutely impossible for a man to have a period if they don't have the proper tools. You know what I'm saying? Like, so um, that's why I answer this. Considering a period, like, are they talking about PMS? Like, well, that's a good question too, because I didn't think to ask that. But I mean, my whole premise was, no, dudes can't bleed out of there, like, unless you get hit by a ball. Right. If you're bleeding out of your penis. Right, that's not a normal thing. And if you've if they've had SRS and they've got a neo vagina, well, it's also not a vagina; it's a road to nowhere. So if they're bleeding out of it, it's because they have a wound that's trying to heal and is probably infected. And there you go again. Let's see the doctor. You know, it has nothing to do with the shedding of a uterine lining, like women do. And then I think the, the picture you had posted with your article um, was, was a woman who was identifying as a man. And yeah. changing these words around and saying that this is a man who's having a period, that's, I'm sorry, we know that you are female. And you can pretend that you're a man all you want. But if you have um, menses monthly, you are female. Yeah. Just like every other mammal that is in creation, you know? And this brings us, I guess, to our topic that we wanted to sort of start off with is just language and uh, the issue of free speech and how, I mean, for me in particular, like it feels like, oh, you know, if you don't agree with me, then, you know, you're attacking me. It's like, that just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I'm vehemently fighting against you. Right. Sometimes you just... I mean, call me hateful, but these are, this is just reality. You know what I mean? And that's, that's what this part me. That's what, I mean, I'm just speaking from a place of ultimate truth. Why am I hateful? You know, that's what I can't get past. And I think that that's the crack in what's going on today is that too many people are just jumping to, you disagree with me? You're 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 talking science? That evil Nazi thing? That science? Well then you're you're evil and I can't have anything to do with it. Yeah, wasn't it for the longest time like the right side was you know, the science deniers? Yeah. Wasn't that like the big knock on, you know, hardcore conservatives was they were the ones denying science and now you know, they're not the ones saying that men can be women and all that. And that's it's funny because that's what's been happening is that like the, 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 the party lines are getting blurred from what I remember as a kid. I remember the Democrats being the one who were fighting for free speech. Right. And, and now the conservatives are fighting for free speech. Like that's just, you know, like, is that because many of the moderate conservatives today grew up liberal and just got pushed out, you know? It could be. I mean, there's that adage, and I've, I've said this to a couple of people in the past week alone, um, that adage of um, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart. If you're not conservative when you're older, you have no brain. And I don't think it's exactly, you know, that black and white, but 
I mean, it kind of rings true, you know, when you're young and you have all of this hope for the world, of course you want everything to be joyful and good and happy and rainbows for everybody. But the reality of the world is not that. And right. when you wake up to that and you understand that, okay, well, I can be a loving, giving, and compassionate person without being forced into it, you know, and that's what the left is wanting to do is to force us to be good people. Well, I'm a good person without government or any ideology telling me to be a good person, you know, so that's, I think that that's where when you, when you get older and you start figuring all of this out, that's where that all comes into play and that adage ends up ringing true. I've had several conversations with people who have, you know, said things along the lines of, oh, you know, if we don't have, like, just imagine a world where there are no laws, you know, everyone would just be, you know, in chaos and people would just run, be running around in the streets killing one another. And I'm like, I don't need a law to tell me to not kill people. Like, only thing keeping me from or the only thing stopping me from killing you isn't a law. It's just, you know, to survive, you need more than yourself around. Right. Like I can't go slaughter the cow and cook it and go do and, and build the house. You know, you need the rest of society. So I, I just don't understand how particularly, I mean, it's, it's a lot of people. It's not exclusively to the left, but people think that, oh, our society needs to be told what to do. Like there is that sort of sense. Oh, absolutely. And that's, and that's why um, I say we, just meaning as society, are pushing for more constraints on what we can do and what we can say and how we can think. And that last part, especially, is super slippery stuff. You know, as soon as we're putting into law like what we're allowed to say. You know, right. Wasn't, wasn't, that, wasn't that what was happening in Germany? You know what I mean? Yeah, and whatever happened in the UK with the dude who taught his dog, you know, the Zig Heil or whatever, but he ended up, yeah, he ended up doing time for it. Now, I mean, he got out pretty quick, but no, uh, uh, yeah, I think they ultimately went back on it, but uh, still the fact that they had a trial. Yeah. The fact that he had a trial though. Yeah. And he lost by whatever, you know, the committee of his peers sentenced him to jail. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a joke. Like, I don't know. It just does feel like there are a lot of people who want that to be the reality. Right. Here's, here's a question. Genuine, genuine question. Like, do you guys believe that there are actually people out there who can relate to what the Nazis were doing? In I what mean, way? you know, rounding people up and, and, and gassing them because they were different. I, guess, I, I think guess that, that there are. I think that there are, but I don't think that in the West that's actually a thing. Like, people think it is. Or, like, like that's being promoted, you know. There's no Nazis, you know. Like, they, there aren't Nazis. If you go to the Southern Poverty Law Center, there are more... Um, Black, in Minnesota, there are more black nationalist groups in Minnesota than there are white nationalist groups. And I mean, if, if we're worried about nationalism here in this state alone, like there's, there's an imbalance here, you know. Um, but overall, I think there's like less than 30,000 members of the KKK or something in the, in the country. 
And it used to be how many millions of oh yeah, you know. So to pretend like they're like like, and, and I I totally think racism is a real thing, but I don't think that this this idea that the KKK is going to take over the United States and white nationalism is going to be a thing in the United States or anywhere in the West is actually a real thing. You know, it's a small subset that died off very quickly, that has died off considerably since, you know, long time ago, um, where, where we're really seeing people trying to cleanse ethnically is in Africa. You know, there are warring groups in Africa who are trying to kill each other off. You know, we're not seeing that here. So, I mean, it depends on which framework you're looking at. If we're looking at the left, I don't think that they're actually legitimately the members involved to make that happen here. And I don't think anybody even really thinks that. Right. You know, at the end of the day, the people who think that are like, I really think that they're kind of cosplayers, you know? Yeah. We're going to pretend that we're going to be these badass revolutionaries for the white people, you know? And it's like, that's not really going to happen, guys. So just, I don't know, go home and clean your gun or something. You know? right. Well, the media does a good job of making it seem like it's a lot more pervasive than it is. Right. You know, almost to, I mean, they, they try to make it seem like, oh, this is what the typical, you know, right winger is. The typical conservative is a hardcore, you know, racist, nationalist, xenophobe. Right. And like you said, that's such a tiny percentage, but that's the type of thing that, ultimately pushes, you know, I mean, moderate conservatives away. I mean, you know, people that are closer to the middle of the road, they see that and they're like, they're not stupid. Like we have the internet, so they can do the research themselves and see, oh, those numbers aren't nearly accurate. Like what, why am I being, maybe there is something to this whole mainstream media. It does have a hardcore left-wing bias. I mean, you know, people are sort of waking up to that, I feel. Started pushing me, um, it, you know, the, the trans thing is kind of what pushed me out of the left, but I still was very um, in the camp of progressiveness, you know, even after, after that. But what pushed me out of the left entirely was that I started doing that research, that I, I didn't just listen to the chants, the no cops, no KKK, no racist USA, you know. I stopped listening to that. I stopped listening to the stats that were being um, talked about on the left, and I started looking at what the right was saying. And then, you know, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Neither of them is, is being entirely forthcoming with statistics and, and information. And so it, the onus is on us as individuals to look into that and to find out what the truth is and to speak to that truth, regardless of whose feelings it hurts, you know? Right. Well, that's... should not be, you know, the, the ultimate thing to protect. But that, a lot of people argue from that position, though, where that they are the ultimate thing to protect. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys had seen the well, the video and the images and just heard the story of the really, really fat chick, the land whale up in New York who was walking down the street and like posing in bikini pictures and then was upset that she wasn't upset that people were making fun of her. She was upset because uh, guys were making, you know, they were catcalling her and making, and so suddenly she was upset about, you know, her being fetishized or whatever. I mean, 
There's no winning with them. That's she. I really feel like she does it just to get get attention. But I mean, that's where we are. Whereas people, you know, oh, okay, so we're not going to offend her. So you know, we'll call her hot, and then she finds something else to get pissed off about. So, you know, we, we see that a lot with um, with a lot of these movements on the left, is, it, and we see it on the right, too, that it's so pervasive on the left that it's like, all you can talk about is, what's wrong with the left? Um, you know, we see it, this women's empowerment that's healthy at every size, this body positivity movement that says, I'm beautiful, and I'm worth love, and I am worthy of having sex with whoever I want to have sex with, and you should love me, and you should find me attractive, and then somebody says, oh, hey, I find you attractive. And you're like, how dare you harass me? Yeah, assault. There is a, there, it's just a desire to want to be upset. Right. Yeah, it's totally outrage culture. Is, so, I mean, I guess maybe that's like a product of the whole Trump derangement syndrome is, you know, people want to perpetually be mad. And if you get in their way of, you know, the time that they've allotted to be upset, then they're just going to get upset at you for trying to appease them. It's like just. They say they're getting upset because you're defending the most evil person on the face of the planet. It's not even like a defense of him, you know? I mean, you, you, you could pretty much talk about any topic and you don't even have to bring up, you know, it ultimately will come back to Trump because that's what they're pissed off about. But it doesn't subject. Like, it's going to. Ooh, probably a mix of both, huh? That's what I think is potentially embarrassing. They were positive. Hillary had it in the bag. And they cannot... I work with somebody who um, every time anything comes up where somebody isn't using their brain, he says something along the lines of, um, well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Look who we elected. Every single time. And it's just like, I don't talk politics. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just, I, I internally roll my eyes because it's, you're not, you're not getting the point. The point is not that people are stupid. So Trump got elected. The point is that you have <laughs> derangement about who Trump is. That you know and, and on the same token, you have derangement about who Hillary is because if you think that she was the smart choice, yeah, and it's and like there's that duopoly again. You know, it's either this one or this one. Nobody ever thinks outside of that. And I mean, there's a, a growing movement of okay, well, we've got to think outside. And so then we've got the Bernie Sanders and the Alexandria, what's her name? Whatever. The, yeah, I can't. Ocasio, whatever. Um, and then whoever the right has to vomit up for a while, Jerry Johnson or you know whoever. But they're, I think that they're all just kind of part of the same thing, you know? They're not actually any different um, within their, their respective so, camps, so, you know? So what you're saying is we have the illusion of choice. We have the illusion of choice. Even when we have extra options thrown in there that seem to be the middle ground, right. that's not even really the case, you know? It's, it's, it is totally, totally an illusion. It, it, I'm, I'm suspicious. Of, of Gary Johnson because the Libertarian Party really thought he was the best. He wasn't even really Libertarian. Like, if you heard him speak, it, it, 
design. Where is that coming from? That's not a libertarian point of view at all. I I I just feel like something was a foot there. Like I don't I don't understand how that that was the guy who was supposed to be representing the third party that you know is should be concerned with getting itself bigger to get into the space and everything. And we put up Gary Johnson, or they put him as well. I don't know. <laughs> no, he was a goober. I mean. He had being the governor of New Mexico working for him. So, I mean, you know, he had government experience and, you know, experience running an entire state. So I could see that. But, yeah, I totally agree with your point. He was an absolute goofball. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you can't, uh, just because he ran a state doesn't mean he's not, not you know. Yeah, it was New Mexico. Totally. I mean. Right. New Mexico. Well, it would be like, you know, if Mark Dayton, who's our governor here, if Mark Dayton ran for president, I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed to be even Hilton right now because he sounds like a drunk fisherman, you know? <laughs> he does not sound like any kind of well-spoken, well-educated, even though he is presidential material, you know? And just the, the fact that Minnesota is so blue, you know? I'm just like, Ugh. but. Uh, my friend, a, a good friend of mine, she was actually the campaign, um, I think she was the leader of the, or the chair for the campaign for Gary Johnson in Minnesota. And I was so mad at her for so long. I was like, how can you support this guy? I was, of course, in the Hillary camp at that time, you know, much to my chagrin now. Um, but it, it was just so frustrating because I, I, I feel like I was pretty objective in recognizing that this guy was kind of a baseball and not really presidential material. So it was just, it was just really frustrating. It was just, it, and I felt like so many people who were rallying behind him were rallying behind him for the simple fact that they didn't want Donald Trump or Hillary. Well, I, I think that they were rallying behind the party because, yeah, you know, if he had gotten a certain percentage of votes, then it was, it was widely understood that the Libertarian Party would have to compete in the debates in 2020. Right. So I, 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 I think that's what it was because I thought he was involved. You know what I'm saying? It's but, totally a noble effort to make, you know, and every time I see the libertarians, um, you know, at boothing somewhere at an event in Minnesota, I'm signing their petition to get their people on the ballot and to, you know, drive those numbers up because they should be because this is a democratic republic. They ought to be on the ballot and, um, and, to uh, put, put those numbers up presidentially so that we can have a more open debate and have more than just the duopoly represented. Well, yeah, because there's a huge swath of people who've never even been exposed to those kinds of ideas. I mean, you know, you put them up on the debate stage and suddenly it's, you know, you have, you know, people like my grandparents' age seeing like, oh, wow, this is a, what kind of new age phony baloney is this guy speaking i've never heard the idea the notion of just being ultimately responsible for yourself and getting the government right. completely out of your paycheck right. like huh i never even thought that was a possibility <laughs> yeah i i, I feel like people don't, don't even realize the libertarian party is there i think that if they were smart or if they are smart and i'm not even talking to about having him win but I think that they should get behind a former governor of Minnesota. Jesse Ventura? Yes, I do. Oh, because, my gosh. Because he's got name recognition. And I think that it would 
it would bring eyes to it. I yeah. don't think that I Yeah, he wouldn't win, but it'd be good for right. but it'd be good for exposure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you're probably right. He he's such a green mouth. Rand Paul. Rand Paul would be awesome. Well, if Rand Paul would like take his head out and decide that he's actually gonna be a libertarian you know, yeah. espousing all these libertarian ideals, but calling himself a Republican and voting as a Republican, I mean, until he pulls his head out and decides he's going to claim it, I, I mean, I really there's don't know. no real issue is, is it just that he doesn't want to give up his Kentucky gig? Like, right. Because, I mean, because he's, he's the, from everyone I hear speaking, and this includes Barry Johnson, he is the, the truest libertarian who has a voice right now. As far as his ideals, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't, I don't, I, I that, that would be my, that would be my wish, ultimately. Him, I'd want to win, unlike Pintora, who I just... Would be I, good I, for... Like, right, I think he would be good for sort of getting eyes on the party, but Rand Paul would be, that would be, that would be my guy. Yeah, Ventura would definitely go to, you know, what my understanding is the aim right now for the Libertarian Party is breaking up the ballot a little bit more, even if they've got to run paper candidates, you know? Um, there was a candidate here, Chris uh, Holm, Holmgren or Holbrook. I'm friends with him on Facebook and I can't even remember his first name or his last name correctly. Anyways, he's here in St. Paul and he ran as a paper candidate last year for mayor in, in St. Paul. And he didn't do any campaigning. He didn't do any door knocking, nothing. He did nothing, but he was on the ballot. And I can't remember what he ended up pulling in for, for than just, Red or blue. Because right. the two party system doesn't work. There, there needs to be some sort of some sort of change to that. Do y'all think that there's anything like the so what's her name? The Oscasio Cortez? What it what's her the Alexandria Yeah. Cortez. Yes. Yes. Okay. So do we think that like there's any possible any possibility that she wins? I mean, I don't think so. Really? Okay. I don't. I don't because everything that she comes up with gets um, verified as to be completely crazy and way too much money. I don't think that matters. That's the problem. I don't think that matters. First of all, she's running in a blue state, um, an absolutely uh, like stubborn, stubbornly blue state. You know what I mean? And um, that's number one. Number two, she's you know, young, attractive, energetic, and I think that, you know, millennials will get behind her. I hate putting it that way, but I really do. And they, they won't care that she doesn't know what she's talking about. Right, yes, before I insult her. They don't, they don't care that she doesn't have all the information she needs to be in the position she's in. They, they won't care. It'll be, it'll be sentimental. You know, I, I, I assume she's going to win. I I'm starting to think similar to similarly to you, Chris, because that's probably exactly how the left felt when they saw Trump running. Was oh, there's no way this idiot right? Like surely people see how you know stupid he is and see you know that he doesn't make he's got no plan and you know they didn't take into account just how much support they're getting. I mean, that's probably exactly how conservatives view her as like oh, you know she's you know, they thought Donald Trump was crazy. Surely they're watching her message. And no, it's the opposite. They're 
they're getting fired up behind her the same way conservatives were getting fired up behind Trump. So yeah, you know, I started off the conversation, you know, with Tasha, like, oh, there's no way that she's going to win. But now like thinking like, you wait, okay. Previously, the right got completely neglected as far as, you know, how they really felt. So yeah, you know, I'm sure you get the young people voting, then that's a completely different ball game up there. See how it plays out. I mean, well, four months away from the election or from midterms. Well, why, why do you think that she didn't, doesn't have a chance, Sasha? I don't think she has a chance just because um, that the ideas that she has doesn't, they, they, they go well exactly with what the uh, more socialist leaning left wants to see happen but there isn't substance behind it and and as much as i hate saying it because i i'm not a supporter of donald trump um but as much as i i i'm not a supporter of him i see that there's merit behind the policies that he has and the things that he spoke about there's merit there and there's substance there behind what she has to say there's not substance there's 33 trillion dollars spent on health care is what there is in in what, you know, what the things that she's talking about. And where does that money come from? It, you know, it's all these grand ideas of, that she has, that Bernie Sanders has, et cetera, that cost all of this money. But if there's, you know, if the wages are so low that, that, that nobody has any money to spend, where do they think the money's gonna come from? Where do mm -hmm. they think the taxes are gonna come from if so many people are unemployed? You know, none of anything that she has to say really makes sense to me. Um, when we get into the deeper ana uh, analysis of it, just like it did with Bernie Sanders, you know? So I think when people really, if people pull their heads out and critically analyze, which, which I mean, I know I'm just, this, this is where I'm like really uh, high in the sky is hoping and crossing my fingers that people are gonna pull their heads out and start critically thinking. Um, if, if they do that, they'll see that there isn't really any substance things that she talks about um so i guess that's kind of where i'm at it's just in that hopeful place still that people are paying enough attention that these policies just don't work i hope you i hope you're right but i think i think the priorities are different than they should be sure. and i don't think i don't think her knowing what she's talking about is a priority right it's yeah it's the being excited part in the i guess that'll be the ultimate i that'll be the ultimate test of, okay, are, you know, people that attached to just whatever letters behind your name to vote for you, regardless of what you're actually, you know, planning to do. I mean, America is not going to be a socialist country. It's not, it's, you know, and even if it was, we're 50 years away from it. So, but, you know, the things that she specifically wants to, you know, put into motion are so, so far to the left. So to where I guess New York will be the big test of, or whatever district she's in, will be the big test of, okay, are people that, are their identities so tied to politics that they're willing to throw away, you know, what America really is founded on, you know, personal freedom, or are they just going to vote, you know, down the ticket, down, you know, party loyalty and all that? what I did for 20 years. I, I voted blue no matter what, you know, it didn't matter. 
did you did you look into your options or did you just automatically nope i just automatically went straight down the ticket if you were a dfl endorsed candidate in the state of minnesota i voted for you it's just with no questions asked you know i was that devoted to the dfl in minnesota and were you always, um, so were you always satisfied with the performance um i i don't think i paid enough attention to know whether or not i was satisfied with the performance you just, you just knew what, you know, that's what the other feminists were doing, so. Right, that's what everybody was doing who, who believed in racial justice and who believed in feminism and who believed in protection of the environment and, you know, all of these, these standardly liberal bullet points. That's what they, everybody else was doing, and this was who was endorsed by the party that represented that. And, you know, it's taken the last two years to really understand that Leftists aren't the only ones who care about the environment. And leftists aren't the only ones who care about women. And, and in fact, I would say that leftists don't care about women, honestly. And leftists aren't the only ones who are not racist. Yeah. Even though I think that they really are very racist. Um, it's just very subtle. There's really subtle undertones of racism that yeah. don't get paid attention to. Yeah, I never thought of that. The, you know, the right wings that are, the right, the right wingers that are racist are, you know, they're, they're out and about about it. You know, they're not hiding it necessarily. Whereas like you have people on the left, you know, uh, person that comes to mind is Anne Hathaway's Instagram post where she says, you know, all black people live in fear daily. And it's like, wow, that's uh, quite a stretch to assume that every single black person in America is constantly in fear. I mean, that's, you know, that's a characterization of someone based purely on color. I think that's the definition of racism. Right. We could go on YouTube and find how many hundreds of black conservative YouTubers who would tell you just exactly the opposite. That they don't fear for their lives. They're not oppressed. They have made themselves into productive people. You know, there's all sorts of contradictions to that narrative. Um, one, one very glaring Point of racism that I see on the right, I mean on the left, is um, and and I do want to say I know that there are racists on the right. I've encountered them myself. Absolutely. They are very overt about it. They are not doing it subtly and under the table. But on the left, they are, and you know it comes. One of the biggest um, things that stuck out to me about the racism on the left that made my eyes open up to that was with the trans issue. There's a I've got screenshots somewhere in, in the ether of um, white trans-identified men telling black women that they are more oppressed than these black women are okay. and have been historically. And I'm just like, <laughs> wait a minute here. And I've seen white men who identify themselves as women tell black women to shut up and sit down. And I was like blown away by that. And that's when my eyes open to how racist the left is and how accepting they are of it if it fits a different narrative for them within the structure of liberalism. So, hold on, let me just make sure that I follow that. You're talking about people who were born black females, correct? Right. And they're now in transition. And no. They're going around telling black women to no, no, shut no. up. White males Oh, who okay. are who are saying that they are women are telling black women actual black women 
that, down and shut up. that they're more oppressed than them. Yeah, so I mean, that was one thing that really opened my eyes to it. And then another was um, with regard to equity issues within school. So I, um, in the past few years, have worked a lot within education in St. Paul um, with the, the local school district and whatnot. And um, looking at equity measures and whatnot, the, the people that are um, most ignored are children who are in the Hmong community and children who are um, uh, political refugees, <clears throat> excuse me, political refugees who um, are in the public school system. And they're, they're here legally and they're, you know, everybody is on the up in that regard, but their needs are ignored. And I sat in a um, Somali parent group one night, uh, a listening session with the, the local school district and listened to these parents talk about how their children were sent home for being bullied by other kids at school and that they're not learning and they're not, you know, nothing is happening for them, but we're pouring all sorts of money into restorative justice and talking about generational trauma for African-American students. And um, I have a good friend who was um, lambasted in the media about the school to prison pipeline for asking a question of, how he, as a teacher, can help students not end up in prison, help African-American students not end up in prison someday. He was like torn to shreds by Black Lives Matter for asking how he can help, you know? So we're, we're looking at equity in that way, but we're not looking at equity where it really matters. And so when I, when I saw that, and when I saw this issue with the trans thing, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is really, really, really bad. And the fact that people don't see that this racism exists blows my mind completely. Because if they saw it, I think that they would call it out. Well, I mean, I don't know if they would. Again, it goes back to, you know, if you're pushing our agenda, if you're playing for the right team, then I don't think they will call it out. They're going to wait until other people call it out and it's too loud to ignore, as opposed to holding them up to the same standards they hold up to or they hold everyone else up to. And I only, and I say they, like, we're only referring to the left because people on the right who are racist are pretty out and open about it. They're not, you know, I mean, there are a lot of, there are people marching in the streets for, you know, to tear down or to keep statues up of Confederate. Like, I, I think that's a big waste of time. But, like, those people are out and about. It's the closet people that we're talking about specifically. Right. Right. And people don't realize how, how far racism actually like exists in our history you know so like what did i hear the other day the um minimum wage minimum wage was put into effect as a form of racism because they didn't want uh companies to hire asian immigrants for you know low wages that they were willing to accept they wanted them to hire skilled white people so they put minimum wage in effect so the companies wouldn't wouldn't be giving they wouldn't be giving the minimum wage to these Asian immigrants, but they would to the skilled white people. Right, because yeah, they they were hiring them because they were they were willing to work for less. Right. Ah, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. But then you have you know, I mean, so what's to say that they're not going to do the exact same thing if they get the minimum wage raised to fifteen? I mean, that's one. 
in New York, I, I, it might only be the five boroughs in Long Island. I'm not sure. But I know that they raise um, minimum wage for fast food workers for $15 an hour. And I was screaming when that was going down, like, don't do this because you don't realize that what you're doing is you're cutting the amount of jobs that's going to be available in fast food restaurants, like, by two-thirds. You know what I'm saying? If they want to give you eight, maybe nine dollars, and you're forcing them to give you 15, who's going to pay for that? You think they are? No. They're just going to figure out a way and put, and that's what they're doing. They're putting kiosks in all the in all the restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's like two workers on at any given time, you know. And 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 you, you just deal with a machine. Now, when our kids are growing up, you know, our generation's kids, they're not going to have that job to go to after school to make a couple of bucks and and learn some responsibility and learn some discipline and understand what working is about. Is that? Is that the minimum wage, though, or is that just automation? Like, is that just an inevitability? Is automation... I think that they go hand in hand. I think it speeds up automation. I'll put yeah. it that Okay, yeah. People's willingness to just go ahead and go all in for the automation because people aren't dependable. Mm-hmm. And, people and... aren't dependable, and low-wage low wage jobs are asking for high, higher wages than the job is worth. Yeah. You know, if you want fifteen dollars an hour, it'd be worth fifteen dollars an hour. Well, I saw some. You know, just because you want it doesn't mean that you're worth it. Well, I saw some post on Occupy Democrats of some woman who worked for Target for eight or for Walmart for eighteen years, and it was something along the lines of, you know, this woman's been working at Walmart for eighteen years and she still doesn't have a livable wage. And all I could think of is, well, yeah, she's probably a she's probably got the same exact job at Walmart. Like, it's. Well, here's the problem. Doing a job that literally anyone can do. And I'm not trying to talk badly on right. people who do her job, but realistically, unless you're disabled, whatever she's doing, you can do. So why should she deserve? I'm not saying she doesn't because she's a human being. She, you know, in some sense, she does. But that's her personal responsibility. Get a job that's willing to pay you what you need to be made. You know, you can't just be, you know, working the cash register at Walmart your entire life and think you're oppressed because you're not making enough money. The rules are set out in front of you beforehand. You know what you're getting yourself into. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just the, no, I mean, there is like some sort of notion of not necessarily thinking about what one's value is, but just seeing, oh, they put a lot of time there. So therefore, that time should be rewarded, not not the difficulty that that time was, but just the fact that you had to do something. You should automatically get some sort of reward. You know how she's going to be rewarded? In, in, in my estimation, how she's going to be rewarded, she probably makes more than anyone else, anyone else in the store, maybe besides management, but I wouldn't be surprised if she did make more than management because she's been there so long. And the first person that, the first time that they need to lay somebody off, she's going to be the first person to go because she's making the most. That's how they're going to reward. Right. You know what I'm saying? If you want a rewarding job, go get one. Right. And my whole, my, I mean, just reading that type of stuff, because that stuff's prevalent. I mean, just as far as the notion that you spend a certain amount of time doing one task, well, suddenly, 
you know, all of a sudden that task becomes worth so much more, like just merely because you've spent X amount of years there. I understand rewarding loyalty, I guess, if you want to spin it and look at it that way. Yeah, but if it's a company like, you know, if, if you're just working the cash register, if you're just mopping up the floors. Right. It's not. I mean, loyal, is it loyalty or is it she needs a job and this is really the job that she can get? And right. I mean, it's, it's, they say saying low skilled work is like, code for racism or classism or whatever. <clears throat> Everything's code for something these days, but it's a fact that this is a low-skill job. Like, it doesn't take skill to go beep, beep, beep. Right. You know, that's not a skill. If you want a job that values your skills, have some skills. And, I mean, there are a million different scholarships available that people can get to go to a trade school. I was about to say, trades are making money. Right, trades are making bank, and trades are empty right now because of this push that everybody needs to go to a four-year college, you know, to, to be successful in the world. Well, there are too many people with four-year degrees doing nothing with them. Right, you know? and, if, and if they are doing something with them, it's not what they intended to do with them. You know, I know they, people with PhDs who keep them off of their resumes because they can't get a job. If they list their PhD or if they list their because, master's degree, because they're overqualified. Because they're overqualified. We have a friend who just got fired from a job because he has a bachelor's degree. He's a bachelor's degree. They're like, you're overqualified, dude. Sorry. Like, you know, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, a four year degree is not all it's cracked up to be unless you're going to use it for a specific kind of job where you need to have that four year degree. But most, most people don't need that. Most people just need to know how to do a really good skill that's going to be a value add. Are you going to be a plumber? Are you going to be an electrician? I mean, journeymen make pretty good money, you know? Um, I mean, and there's not enough push for that. And, and people not wanting to put, put out any kind of effort, but still wanting that reward of $15. Well, be worth $15 if you want $15. Otherwise, and just because you want it doesn't mean you, you get it. I just found it as an interesting thought experiment just to, I mean, not experiment, but just trying to wrap my head around, okay, this is how they think. They like, that's where they're coming from is, oh, okay, if you're willing to show up, then you should get a livable wage, which right now it's $15 an hour, but then there's always going to be some sort of fight. You know, once you get $15 an hour, then it's okay. The fight for 20, okay. The fight for 25, you know, it's all, it's just, it's going to keep, going up and up as long as it, because it's just another thing to divide us i think right. Absolutely. And, and and the unintended consequences that come along with doing things like that I, I, the, the bad outweighs the good thing you know what i'm saying like cutting like 60 something percent of jobs so that the people so that you know the 30-something percent that can keep their job will make $15 an hour. That doesn't seem, I don't know how to word it. That doesn't seem inclusive. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're putting you're putting 60% of people out of work. Now what are they going to do? Yeah, right, now Yay for the 40% that are now making $15 an hour. But what about the 60 who now don't make anything? You know, it might just be another, it might be another ploy from, you know, the, the people pulling the strings just to get more people on welfare and more people on 
you know, social handouts. More people into unemployment, which pours more people into the welfare state, and and it doesn't even um, end up. It will probably wouldn't even end up reflecting um, wage increases, like because it would even out. Like all the people that get fired from their job because the company can't pay them, because now we have to pay everybody fifteen dollars an hour. It ends up being a wash, and wages don't go up. Everything stays stagnant, and nothing gets better because people aren't value adding at all. Look what's happening in Seattle. You know, everybody, like people are making a mass exodus out of Seattle because everything is becoming too expensive. Right. You know, you, you want a meal at a restaurant, you're paying $30. You know, the rent's going up, everything's going up because they have a $15 minimum wage. And people are like, we can't afford to live here anymore. This is crazy. You know, like that's the kind of stuff that happens. Why? Why do you want to alienate everybody just just so some people can make fifteen dollars an hour? You know what I mean? I don't know. Right. I mean, it just doesn't seem logical. It, 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 it seems cruel in a way. And I know they're going for the opposite, but I don't. Well, they claim to be going for the opposite. I'm saying the long game. You know, the the long play is to get that $15 an hour, make companies have to let people go and, you know, or put people on a part-time basis, however they want to do it. But to where people aren't working, you know, 40 hours a week, making 10, $11, you know, you've got people who, you know, are then working 20 hours a week or 15 hours a week making their $15, but then got to go on some sort of government subsidy or government program. No, you're absolutely right. Because, you know, uh, okay, so I worked for a company for a couple of years that worked for DSS, okay? Um, my company owned um, a bunch of houses that uh, DSS paid us to use as group homes for um, mostly single mothers um, who needed some help, quote-unquote, getting back on their feet. Um, we did take in, um, they said it was for single moms, but there were a lot of married couples or, or two parent homes either way. But, um, I will tell you that that was probably when I, this was going back now seven, eight years. And that was probably the first time I sort of opened my eyes to, Hey, wait, this liberal society isn't doing what I thought it was doing because, and I was, I did identify as liberal, although I was sort of unpracticing, but um, a lot of the people there, and if, if, I, if I get specific about what, who these people are, I'm going to look racist, but I will just say a lot of the people there um, thought they had the world by the balls because they were collecting an income for having children. They were lifers in the system. Their parents were lifers. This was taught to them. Um, they were training their children to be lifers in the system. Like, hey, all I need to do is pop out a kid every year and a half. My check gets bigger. And I will tell you that these people were spending the money that the government was giving them on weed, on alcohol, on cigarettes, on 
going to the club, getting their hair and their nails done. You know what I'm saying? And they were feeding their kids ramen three meals a day. But they had free housing. They got food stamps and they got checks. And they thought they had they they thought they had it made. And that we're the idiots. Anybody who wasn't doing that were the idiots. Why are you working so hard? You know? They they really did. They thought they had it made. And that's kind of what I was especially when I saw the way they were just feeding their kids ramen all day long and then going out on Friday night having a good time with the money they should be keeping with. That's when I was like, wait a second. Like that was that was that was the first thing that opened my eyes to Where was this? What state? New York. Well, okay, this is on Long, on Long Island. Suffolk County, which um, and I was told um, sort of secretly, it was like it, the company, you know, the company knew, um, but I, I don't believe it was public knowledge. In 2011, I want to say, it was informed to us that the uh, plan, the the 10-year plan or 15-year plan, whatever they were doing, was that from Washington, D.C. up to Maine, all of the people in the system were going to get essentially shipped to Long Island, to Suffolk County, because Suffolk County is its on the tip of an island. You don't drive through. If you're going there, you're going there for a purpose. You know what I'm saying? And um, they were doing all of these things to, to get to this place where where the that the, basically the, the northeast region of the country was going to send all of their you know homeless people to Suffolk County and Suffolk County wanted this because the government would pay them bank for it the federal government and um, what they started doing the local government what they started doing was they were starting to make it impossible for the middle class to have a normal normal life. It was elites, which, you know, the Hamptons are out there and, and um, you know, the Hamptons aren't the only town that's rich like that, at the, you know, at the, at the end of Long Island. And you were going to have basically people in the system and rich people. And they're, they're, they're the, you know, the middle class was, was getting like this. We were getting squeezed out. That's part of the reason that, you know, I, I left because it just, it, it was impossible to sustain yourself there. You know, like, I know people who have professional jobs who are married with a child or two living with their parents, living in their parents' basement because they cannot afford to live on their own. And Up on Long is, Island? Yeah, and that is wildly depressing. I mean, think about that. You know, people in their 30s with their own families still living with their parents because they can't afford nothing. And, that, and that's, what, that's what they were doing, and that's what... And that that was the system, and they made it so impossible. Once you got in, I I, I became friendly with this one woman. Um, she was she was sweet, and um, she genuinely was just. She signed up for for social services because she did she did fall on hard times, and she did just need help getting back on her feet. She didn't plan on being there more than three, four, five months, but they make it so hard for you to get out once you're in that she didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And she was, she was upset about it. You know what I mean? She wanted to be self-sustainable. But they don't, the, the way they structure it, and I can't give you details because I'm not, I don't remember anymore. I'm not even positive. 
But the way they structure it is so that once you're in, you can't get out. Or they make it really, really difficult for you. Because they want you under their thumb. And they think that once you're in, you're going to vote for it. You know? Well, that's, the, that's something that I was thinking of earlier was that aren't most major cities, you know, Democrat, largely Democrat? That sounds right. I mean, like Los Angeles, New York. I know Dallas is Houston. Dallas? That actually kind of surprised me. Yeah, I mean, every all the counties surrounding Dallas County are red, but Dallas County's blue. They have a yeah, Democratic mayor. Once you get outside of Minneapolis State Hall, you start getting to the purple before eventually it's red in the rural areas. Minneapolis State Hall and Duluth are. Kind of in Minnesota. But by and large, it's like the, the places that have, you know, the, I guess, least amount of opportunity. I, I, major cities have a lot of opportunity if you're, you know, educated and if you're, you know, skilled. But that's where also a lot of the not so great communities are. And they just happen to also be, you know, largely run by Democrats. So it's like you'd think over time with things not getting better, you know, there'd be a switch. But it's they just keep voting for the same thing. But I wonder, Chris, if it's because of uh, situations of which you described that you used to work with or, you know, uh, your company used to work with uh, to where, oh, they see that if, you know, if Republicans come in, they're going to lose all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's they, they want they want you under their thumb because they, they're sure, go vote for them. And that, that really is the way it works. And, and you know, that's, I've seen the same thing with identity politics, which I, I just despise. I despise identity politics. Um, because I, I went to trade school, okay? And um, there happened to be a lot of African Americans in my class. Um, and one of them I was talking to one time, and we were just chatting about whatever. And I can't remember what it was now, but he said he was he was just kind of going on this on this tangent talking to me, and I I realized that his his views were very conservative leaning, and you know I and that was right around the time that um, Obama was up for re-election, and I knew that he had voted for Obama because he had said something, and this was a couple of weeks later, and I, I said something to him. I was, you know, like, you have very like, conservative views. And he just looked at me like I had four heads. He's like, I have conservative views? And I'm like, yeah, like, the stuff you're saying, you know, that, you know, why, you know, why did you vote for Obama? And he's like, well, look at me, man. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, you're allowed to vote however you want to vote, you know, like, whichever you identify with. And he was looking over his shoulder, making sure no one else was hearing him. And he was like, shut up with that. <laughs> like, like, I was going to, like, give him up. You know what I mean? And I was like, all right. You know, that's, stuff like that is just depressing. You know, like, people, people who, who think conservatively don't feel comfortable voting conservatively because of who they are or what they look like or, you know, stuff like that. I know, I know gay guys who have conservative views. But if you tell them that, they're like, shut up. I don't want to hear it. I've been shocked by the amount of uh, the few gay people I know who are conservative-leaning, like who are, who did. 
I know if, uh, I have a couple of friends who are huge Trump support. Like, I mean, cause I'm no Trump supporter, but they're all in, you know, rocking MAGA hats and everything like that. So yeah, I was very surprised by that, but it's, I feel like that's almost more common than, you know, black people feeling okay to be conservative. Yeah. But I don't think black people feel okay um, being conservative. And then you've got, you know, the, the, um, conservative mouthpieces like Candace Owens, who, I mean, she's got a lot of great things to say, but then she feels kind of, uh, a little off. Oh yeah. Like, wait, what, what, you know, but she does give a voice that, that substantiation thing that she says all the time, you know, um, and, and it has resonated with a lot of black people. And I think that that's so great and it's empowering them to think outside of, of what they've been told they should be thinking and how they should be voting. And, you know, to the point of having um, LGBT uh, friends who are conservative, I've got so many mostly lesbian friends who are more conservative or libertarian. I was about to say very libertarian too, just. Yeah. And, and a handful of female uh, friends who who are also more conservative leaning, and only more so later in their lives, within the past few years, because they're seeing the homophobia that's existing in the left and the disparities that exist on the left that are crafted by the left. You know, they're starting to kind of really wake up to it, and um, I think it's really interesting. It's really. Uh, cool to watch play out and just totally mind-blowing at the same time. It's like so simplistic, but so mind-blowing that this is happening among these demographics. Um, and I think that that really spells for change I hope um, outside of that, that duopoly that we're told is our only option. I mean, idealistically, all I really want is for people to feel comfortable being their self. Now, I sound like a liberal when I say that, but what I mean is if a, if a black guy or a gay guy within his heart agrees more with conservatism than he does with liberalism, he should feel comfortable to express that, even to himself. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know, I know people who are denying it to themselves. They'll say something and they'll go, oh, that's a conservative view. Shut up. Okie doke. <laughs> you know, because cause Trump's Hitler and, you know, F all these Nazi red people. And like, it's just so ridiculous to me. I think what people really have to realize is that nobody's in the voting booth with you. Right. You know? So if you don't agree with whoever candidate for whatever reason and you don't want to vote for them, don't vote for them. It's that simple. If you need to write somebody in or issue a blank ballot or, you know, vote for somebody else who might be on the ticket, then, then do it because nobody is in there with you unless you allow that group think to come into the voting booth with you. That's the only way anybody else is in there with you. So, I'll say two things that they kind of contradict each other. One, I think that that's why nobody saw Trump winning coming. Because a lot of people were saying, I'm not voting for him. And then as soon as they slipped in there alone, they voted for him. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are bringing the group thinking in. Because they're being told that. And there's nothing 
there's nothing wrong with being proud of what you are, but they're being told that even if you think conservatively, you're black first. And what black people are supposed to do is go liberal. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. You look deep in thought, Well, I'm just, I mean, you said it so perfectly. I mean, I can't really top that. It's just, yeah, just the no, or not even the notion, just the, I guess, wanting to fit in, I guess, or the fear of standing out and being ridiculed. Because by and large, it's not, and I could be completely wrong, but it's not the people on the right that are demonizing those who disagree with them. You know what I mean? Like you don't see conservatives by and large calling people stupid simply for, you know, not sharing the same exact opinion. There's more of an array of thought on that side. Whereas, you know, you're constantly watching uh, any late night talk show host or any political pundit, like one of the first things that they go to is just calling anyone who supports anyone on the right or anyone with conservative values, you know, stupid or an idiot, or, you know, they're just so quick to insult. So I think that there's just a lot of fear or apprehension to speak out. And if you do share those views, because, you know, you see it constantly on television, people making fun of those people, you know, what's, what's going to stop my friends from, you know, making fun of me. And I don't want, you know, people that I actually know who disagree with me to, you know, to call me out on this and, you know, uh, make fun of me. I mean, you know, that's why you specifically started, you know, a discussion group, Chris, was because, you know, you didn't feel like you could share things via social media to your friends and people who know you personally because, uh, you know, you were afraid to get made fun of or whatever. I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily Trump supporter, but I was realistic, and I knew that he wasn't everything that the Kool-Aid drinkers were saying. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The way the way I view Trump is, he has a junior high bullies mentality, but. I, 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 but I will say that I can see that being uh, to his advantage in, in some, in, you know, some cases. But, um, but he is a, basically a silver spoon, crass New Yorker who's never had to apologize or explain himself for anything. And, you know, I think that that's, those are insults. You know what I mean? But I don't mean it to demonize him. I'm just saying he's not racist. He's not sexist. He's, um, you know, he's, he doesn't think that he's not respectful. I'll give him that. And, and, and he doesn't, he doesn't think before speaking because he's never had to. Mm, yeah. Because he's always had money and, and everybody understands 
and if you don't, I'm here to tell you, New Yorkers are just generally more crass than most of the rest of the country, and we don't mean it to be crass. It's just the way we're raised. You know what I'm saying? And it, it, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just what it is. And that, that's who he is. He's just a crass person who's never had to think twice about who he is. That doesn't make him a racist. That doesn't mean that he can't, he can't have great ideas in place so that the, com- the, the country can benefit from them. You know what I'm saying? Like, how does one... Yeah, okay, so he's had a million affairs. What rich, famous guy has it? You know right, what I mean? right. Like, like, how does that diminish his ability to be president? Well, if anything, it shows just how committed to an agenda conservatives are and people on the right are compared to just the the person who's willing to play nice or the person who's willing to you know dress up and say the right thing you know on camera but behind closed doors who knows like you know that's what that's what the the talk no but that's what the that's what the talking heads and everything you know they're the point they always go to is oh you know you have these christian conservatives who you know are supporting a man who's had affairs and you know how hypocritical of them and it's like no that that's the difference like the the left wants someone to go up there and play pretend and, you know, put on the suit and act a certain way. Whereas the people on the right only care about getting the things that they want passed. Yeah. And I've said that for a while now that the differentiation between, okay, this is his personality. You might not like his personality, but stop paying attention to that because you need to pay attention to the policy that he's talking about and what's being done underneath his presidency. And if you've got dispute with the policy, then talk about that. If yeah. he is trying to implement a measure that is institutionally racist, then talk about that. If he's trying to institute something that's institutionally um, sexist, then talk about that. Then you might have the, the ability to say he's a racist and he's a sexist. But the policy that he's putting forward so far doesn't do either of those things. Now, as a person, I think he is a pig. I think he's just, you know, he's totally reprehensible. He, I don't think he's got any morals. I don't think he's got any scruples or values or anything that he really uh, operates his life on other than what he can gain. But and I, do, I do think that he is a passionate person. I, 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 I know, know it's hard to say. Yeah, I was like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like we would, I feel like things would have gone a lot differently if Hillary was, had been elected. I feel like, you know, we, we would be at war right now probably with Iran and, and Syria and Russia. And, and Trump is trying to halt that. Right. Yeah, I don't think that, well, I definitely don't think that there'd be nearly the outrage culture that there is as far, I say outrage culture. There'd still be the outrage culture. It just wouldn't be a constant you know, students at Berkeley or, you know, college students constantly up in arms and not letting people speak. And, you know, there wouldn't be this combative nature amongst, amongst specifically young people, you know, at universities who tend to be on the left. I don't think that, I don't think that that'd be nearly as prevalent. Well, right. I mean, you listen to Ben Shapiro talk about, you know, like 18 months, two years ago, he what didn't need security when he'd go to college campuses to talk. And now he needs police force and personal security just to get on a stage so nobody will steal his script, you know? 
and it's like this is and this is all a direct result of the outrage being intensified because and, and, i mean it is a direct result of donald trump but it it, i mean we can't we can't deny that and i, I mean they like oh yeah totally absolutely because it's attention you know and and what do they say about um all uh, press is good press all press is good press yeah i mean it doesn't you're talking about me so i'm on your mind and you're going to listen more to what i'm saying and that's one of the things i talk about all the time too uh you know a post uh, a speech that he gives that everybody's like oh my god what an idiot like listen to what he's saying though he's not yes he sounds like a bumbling fool and he talks about himself and he's like he won't shut up about having won the election you know yeah and i mean we're, how how far we're into his presidency already and he's just like oh well, we won you know yeah you won and but he always has a point even though he goes off on all of these rabbit trails he has a point and you have to use your brain and i mean i'm not even a little bit to filter out all of that extraneous noise that he produces to hear what he's really saying. And what he's really saying is usually pretty spot on in terms of policy and the decision making that he has to do as president. And I don't fault him for that. I do fault him for having a really crap personality, but as a president and policy, I don't fault him at all. That doesn't mean I'm gonna vote for him ever, but you know, we're not even there yet. So and, and that's exactly what Shapiro says. Shapiro says Shapiro is very open about the fact that we really should strongly just shut up. You know, right. stop, stop tweeting, stop contradicting yourself in speeches, stop, you know, riling up the gang. But once a policy is put into effect, it's a good policy. <clears throat> right. So, yeah, he plays that good Trump, bad Trump game on his right. show. <laughs> so. Uh, so where are we like as far as like the since we're i guess talking about trump now uh is there how far are we like in this whole russia collusion thing like before it was you know trump told russia to hack emails and now it's at the point where uh you know trump jr had a meeting to talk with the russians uh about possibly using social media and fake news to you know ultimately win the election to now you have Giuliani and Trump saying, well, even if it did collude, collusion's not a crime. Like where, where are we with all of that? Cause I'm, I'm constantly finding myself in arguments with friends who say, Oh, that's it. We've got a, you know, we've got an open and shut case, you know, it's, it's collusion. And I'm like, I don't think Facebook articles count as <laughs> like that. That's what the argument always comes to is, Oh, you know, he used he used Facebook to to win the election. I was like, well, then okay, now you know the formula. Like, all you have to do next time around is just run some Facebook ads. Well, that's that goes back to the free speech thing, and it and it goes back to the free speech stuff of as far as like, oh, you know, these websites need to monitor what's you know, what's being shared and making, you know, Facebook needs to spend money to hire fact checkers to, you know, make sure everything that people are sharing is, you know, factually correct. And so I'm just, I'm just confused as, as far as uh, where are we with what percentage of the election can we give to, you know, people 
sharing misinformation? What percentage of the election was decided because Russia collusion or whatever? Um, I, I just would like to know y'all's thoughts on that. I, I would say that I, I would be naive to say none. Right. I don't know. But I don't, I don't think that's why he won the election. I think he won the election because Hillary Trump. And are we and are we so far removed from what had happened to where we don't even like specifically Democrats and people on the left, they don't even care about the contents of the email about, you know, Hillary rigging the system to where, you know, she would automatically beat Bernie. But, you know, are, are people just have, have they forgotten about that? And they're so outraged that Trump won in general that they don't even care about the contents of the email. They care about the fact that the emails you know, were, were leaked. Like that's the, that's what I have the toughest time. I made a comment one day on my page that the only people I see talking about the emails anymore are people on the left. But you know, they're, they, they're constantly bring up the, but her emails names. And I don't see anybody on the right necessarily talking about it anymore because we just don't care. We're moving on and, you know, going forward with, with what, is and why none of us know. People, I'm sorry. I, why can't people just get? And I, I'll I'll say this, and then I'm sorry. I'll let you finish. But why can't people just get that Hillary is literally a walking national security threat? You know, like, am I wrong? Am I am I being an edge lord by saying that? I don't feel like I am. Well, yeah. If her emails were able to be, you know, I mean, right there, right. If the DNC was able to be hacked like that, obviously they're not running it too tight of a ship. So what's to say that wouldn't happen at a national level? Right. I, I mean, I, as far as the whole collusion thing goes, I mean, I, I don't know. And we, we don't have all of the information, and I doubt we'll, we even have a quarter of the information. And, you know, like you were saying, Garrett, a, a HuffPo politics article is not going to have all of the information that we need as voters and as citizens of the country to make the decision um, as to what's going on. And, you know, we, we've seen, I'm, I'm, at least I have, friends from the get-go saying, oh, we can impeach him because here's why. And, oh, we can impeach him because here's why. Oh, we got him now because all of this information has come out. Yeah, for and two years for, it's been like that. Right, it's for two years we're at, the, the middle of his first term, and I say first because I'm so confident the guy's going to get reelected, you know, and, and I, actually I was just morning to my daughter, we listened to the radio and we were hearing the news about um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg saying she wants to um, stay seated until she's 90, so five more years, and the commentator was saying, oh, well, that's because she's really hopeful that Donald Trump will be president after this first term. Well, I mean, I think that that's really unrealistic. I think he's going to win again. And um, and I don't think that collusion will ever be proven. I really, really don't. And that's not to say that it didn't happen, but I just don't think we'll ever know whether or not it happened because he is not actually in charge. You know, there are so many hands at play here that are actually in charge, and he is president for a reason. You know, and. Um, I don't know, maybe that's getting a little bit too conspiratorial, <laughs> which, no, is, which not, is actually kind me. of... I was about to say, I'm sure Chris is all about that. Yeah, I mean, I, 
know, like all on the Illuminati bend. But, you know, if every, if anybody thinks that Donald Trump actually has that much power, they really don't know how the governments of the world work together, you know? So. I lost my Is one of your little ones in there? Yeah. <laughs> No, but my, 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 I guess, concern or like my question is why are people more or why aren't people more concerned with the fact that it was a, you know, the DNC was rigged as they are that the emails got out, you know, they're, they're more upset that the emails got up than they are about the content of the emails. And the, I feel like the content of the emails should have been more damning than anything. I think that, well, I'll just say, I think that the country still dies, you know what I'm saying? The, the people who wanted to vote liberals, them Democrats, were pushing Bernie Sanders. And the people who wanted to vote Republicans, well, not all of them, I guess, but some of them were pushing for Trump because everybody wants a change from the North. You know what I'm saying? Like, people are sick of the establishment, establishment narrative, and, and all the crap, you know, the magician crap that they play, like look in my left hand while they're doing something with their right hand. Nobody wants that crap anymore. So that's why they were pushing for Bernie and Trump. And neither of the parties were behind those two guys. And the way I kind of look at it, and maybe this is just my own weird way of making it work for me. The way I look at it is that the Republican Party actually has the dignity to allow the person who the people wanted to run. And the Democratic Party didn't have that dignity. Well, they don't have that because they have the superdelegates. Right. So the Democrat system, the Democratic primary system set up to ultimately make sure that the party heads get their, gar get their guy and then there's the illusion of choice. But even, uh, I don't know, I... I, I I find it hard to believe that even with the superdelegates that Sanders didn't win, like realistically speaking. Oh, yeah, no. I'm not. I'm not arguing that. I'm more so arguing just the. Or I'm. I'm just stating that that system is set up to ultimately give a ton of power to the, you know, the heads of the party, whereas the Republican system is more set up as, you know, each state has their primary, and then you know, not one state or the other, you know, as far as like their delegates go. Uh, it's not a rigged system. It's a, it's, it's way more fair. And so, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's less room for, you know, uh, party heads making sure that all the, you know, the super delegates, which don't exist on the right vote for, you know, who the party heads want. And so, I'm, I guess my question or my thought is like, why aren't Democrats more upset that they have a rigged system for their primary as they are upset about, you know, these emails exposing that crap coming out? You know what I mean? Because even though it's rigged on their side, when it works for them, it's okay. You know, so they, they kind of just gloss over when when it doesn't work for them and they find something else to blame. That I think that that's what the, what the issue is there. 
but you're talking about the courts, correct? Right? Yeah. So, did it work for them? Because I feel like the majority of the voters were behind Sanders. Right, but the part, but now, now two years later, people are more concerned with, you know, Russia or Russians or whoever were the hackers that, you know, did the phishing scheme and got the uh, emails from Podesta. They're, they're more upset that that action happened than they are of the actual contents of the email that exposed, you know, just what they were doing as far as, you know, the party heads not supporting Sanders and openly telling Hillary she's going to win. It's the whole revealing what's the man behind the curtain. Right. That's, I mean, that's what it is. And, and they just don't. I, th I think that they are, are they are aware that this happened. They are aware. And, and it usually works for them. And it didn't this time. And so they're just like, pay no attention to the man. Okay. The yeah. That's what I feel like is going on, though. I feel like it's a lot of, and especially in the mainstream media, you have, you know, I mean, they brushed over it briefly. But for the most part, I mean, it's been, you know, who was behind it? Uh, was Trump behind it? You know, uh, how did this happen? It's a breach of security. It's not a, a revealing of how the sausage is made. It's a, oh, you know, let's deflect and not even pay attention to this issue. Well, I think it goes back to the fact that they're embarrassed. You know, I think it's just, I think it's screwed up priorities. I think that's what it comes down to. I think their priorities make Trump look like the worst, like, person who ever existed, including him. And that's the narrative. Everything else we get. You know what I'm saying? Because we're embarrassed. We have to... I, I don't I don't know how to word it. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, they have to make themselves feel better somehow for the embarrassment that they feel. And that's why, yeah, I mean, and that's why Trump's probably going to get reelected, though, because he, it's the same tactics over and over, rather than, rather than be humble and acknowledge, like, okay, we ran poor campaign, we ran a poor candidate. It's a, oh, we lost because of this and this, and you guys are still stupid. And, you know... You guys are still idiots for supporting this guy, and you're hypocrites for you know reading the Bible, but also supporting a guy who has affairs. Like, right. I'm, my, I guess my overall point is it's just like you said, it's an embarrassment thing. It's a an attachment to their personal identity. So rather than say, oh, crap, hopefully we'll get him next time. It's a it's a constant blaming, I guess, so that way. I mean, maybe it's a, a way to get over it. It's just taking an awful long time. Well, Tasha, you still have a lot of liberal friends, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. Okay. Like, are they convinced that Trump's going to lose 2020? I think that they're kind of split. Um, I think half of them are confident that he's going to lose. They, they have that same hope, like we were talking about with um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You know, they... They, they do. They have that hope, and they're like, yes, we're going to go get them. And they've got their memes about all of these kids that are turning 18 this year and get them registered to vote and, um, you know, all of that. Uh, vote at the midterms, and midterms are how we turn it. And um, I, I think that they're really hopeful. But they're the same people who are super hopeful that Hillary is going to win, too. Uh, before Hillary was the nominee, they were the same people who were hopeful that Bernie was going to win. And 
you know, if we, if we really want to go down to the brass tacks, I mean, Bernie shouldn't have even been in the contest as a DNC because he wasn't a Democrat. Right. You know, he just rode on the Democratic coattails to take to try to take their money. You well, know, I'm sure he's called pretty disingenuous. Now. If, if he hasn't already started, I'm sure he will. Right, right. But I mean, I I think that, I, I, and you know, I don't assign any kind of um, uh, uh, malignant feelings behind any of my liberal friends and thinking the things that they think. And I, I know that they're all very good people and altruistic and like they really want to see good in the world happen for everybody. But um, the way we go about doing it, it's not by force and they want to see people who are going to force us into making the world a better place. And that's already something that people are interested in doing because we're part of it, you know. Um, and, and they see Donald Trump as the antithesis of the good that they think that they are, you know, and that they think that their party is. Um, so they, they have that hope still that they're going to they're gonna overcome him and they're going to resist and they're going to fight. But the question is always, what are you resisting exactly? You know, go back to the policy, name some policy that he's enacted that you have a problem with and why, like specifically, give me factual information as to why you think this is wrong and let's talk about it. But if you just want to say, well, he's a racist and he's a sexist, so we're going to fight him, that's not, that's not how you're going to change it. And I feel bad that they are so hopeful that they're going to switch it and that they're not going to. Like, I really don't think that they're going to flip it. And then I've got friends who are like, oh, well, yeah, we're, we're stuck. <laughs> we're stuck with them for the next six more years, you know. So why do those people think they're going to? Well, they think he'll get reelected because they think that um, the majority of the country are racist, sexist, homophobes. No, that I was about to say, that's probably exactly what it is. I mean, it's, it has nothing to do with, again, humbling yourself and looking internally and saying, oh, okay, what kind of policies are we pushing? What kind of, uh, you know, what direction is our party going? Is it one that really is inclusive of ideas and uh, wanting to, you know, discuss discuss ideas or is it a party of my way or the highway you know you have to agree with us on abortion you have to agree with us on same-sex marriage like there is no you know there's no you can't disagree with one thing you i name you 10 things you have to agree with all 10 or else you know you're you're all right or you're you know a nazi going to say, you know, the, to the point of agreeing 100% with everything. When I, um, when I decided that I was going to be a Democrat when I was 18 years old, and I said this in a statement, actually, when I was running for school board here, I said, the one of the reasons why I became a Democrat was because of the ability to have an open exchange of ideas and to talk about all sorts of different things and not have to agree on everything, but still work as a as a group to a common goal and to um, defend the, the right to have a diversity of opinions and, and, and thoughts. And, um, and that has entirely switched, you know, and it, you, you just can't, you can't 100%. You know, there was that, um, that Dean 
of, I can't remember what college it was, it just happened yesterday or the day before, children out of here please, um, just happened yesterday or the day before, um, he uh, applauded a friend of his who is running for governor in some state, he's a GOP gubernatorial candidate, and he's like, I went to high school with this guy, and we used to play um, YMCA sports together, and he's a really great guy, and really kind to a fault, et cetera. And the Twitter mob went, Rawr! and he recanted this whole thing of this lifelong friend that he's had. He wasn't allowed to say, okay, on a personal level, this guy's really great. You know, you can't even be friends with somebody. If you agree, I check, I check all of these boxes, and I agree with you on this side, but I have this friend over here who's a really good friend of mine who I'm friends with beyond politics. You can't even say that or the mob will descend and totally ruin your life. Unless you, you know, self-crit, get out your Maoist handbook and, you know, I mean, it's insane. And that's not to say it doesn't happen on the right, but again, it's more prevalent. It's something that you right. see more often on the left. I feel like people on the right pretty much just don't care. Like if you don't, you know, unless you're a boomer, then by and large, you don't care if people are living a particular way or are doing a particular thing. It's the people on the left who, oh, you don't, you're not loudly agreeing with me? Well, then what's your problem? Like, why, why are you being silent in all of this? You know, you, oh, you must be, you know, and then all of a sudden you have all these labels put on you, whereas, you know, people on the right, if you're not spewing out exactly the talking points that they want, they're not coming after you. No, they're like, you know, let's talk about, how we're the same, let's talk about how we're different. Let's have an intellectual exchange of ideas. You know what I mean? Right. It just seems wild to me that we're actually at a point where the, 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 the Republican Party is the one going, hey guys, come with us. And the Democrats are like, you're not democratic enough. Get the hell out of my face. You know what I mean? Like, so wild. It's flipped from when I was a kid. Like, exactly. and that was, I mean, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you guys, but that wasn't that long ago. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, it was the opposite. It was, you know, oh, you know, you're not a Christian conservative living with Christian values. Well, then, you know, you're, you're just a hippie. You're just a, you know, a yuppie and a, you know, a liberal. Whereas now it's the, it's the opposite. Yeah. Like you said, and it's funny how it's just changed in such a short amount of time. like the last three or four the moderate left is now the moderate right like it's the same people the once moderate left are now the moderate right you know what i mean and and because the left doesn't like people who aren't left enough i have a friend i love her to death i go way back with her um but she is extremely left and she mentioned on Facebook about a year or so ago, what was it? She said, Oy vey, I think, or some sort of, you know, Hebrew. Yiddish. Uh, yeah, or whatever. And she got called out for, you know, what, cultural appropriation. <laughs> Anti-Semitism. And so she took to Facebook, like, do you believe these people call it, like, said Oy vey? Like, it's like a common blah, blah, blah. And I said to her, like, you know, you know, this is because the people who are so far left 
don't accept people who are literally one notch right of them. And she's like, well, I'm as left as they come. And I was like, and yet you're still getting called out for cultural appropriation. And she's like, you're right. a jerk. <laughs> because and that's like, a- I put a period on this, honey. You know what I mean? Like, and she was like, you're a jerk. I love you, you big jerk. And I'm like, all right, well, this is. Well, I'm just a girl. Well, let's attack a girl on Twitter this past prom season for wearing a dress. You know. Oh and, yeah. I mean, this is insane. You know, I, I used to. I think she's a Utah, Yeah, she wore like a you know the Mandarin collar, um, right. Chinese style like dress, forties. Uh, I don't even know what the name of the dress is called. Um, my good friend does though. She's a she studied Chinese and whatever. Um, Mandarin. Know, I come out. I come out of um, a, a dance culture that is really rich in um, uh, historic, the historic culture of the dance, um, this Middle Eastern dance, uh, belly dancing, and um, you know, in recent years, the social justice end of it all has started saying, "Oh well, it's." culturally appropriative for a dancer to wear a bindi. And you ask people from India, is it okay if we wear a bindi? And they're like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> you know, nobody ever asks the people from which the culture, or from the culture that something comes from. They just, they're like, it's white people deciding what is offending other cultures. And, and I'm sorry, that's racist. You know, you're a white person and you're defending a culture without having knowledge of that culture, just because it's something that's from another culture, you're being a racist. And they just don't understand that. Isn't the point of diversity in America being such a great thing because we're going to teach other cultures about our own? Like, isn't that part of it? Well, then there's the argument, you know, you have people arguing and say, oh, you know, Americans don't have a culture. You know, it's a... It's a bunch of stuff brought over from other parts of the world. Oh, sorry, I've got little people. <laughs> They're trying to keep it out. <laughs> okay, there we go. But, you know, but people have their own traditions that were passed down from their grandparents to their grandparents who came over here as immigrants, right? So everybody has their family traditions, you know, and that's their culture. And, you know, why is it bad? to share your culture with somebody who isn't of your culture. Right. That's, I think, I literally think that cultural appropriation or whatever the heck it's called is just an excuse to get pissed about it. Like, it's just, like, that's, it's just, it's just another excuse to point a finger at somebody. Absolutely. It's total BS because, you know, I don't, I don't see what the issue is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I eat Chinese food, you know what I mean? Like, that's okay. Right. You know, I, I grew up with, you know, white guys of Irish heritage with dreadlocks because they love reggae music. You know what I mean? Like, who cares? Like, why is that bad? What are they doing wrong? And really what it comes down to is these people have to manufacture things to be angry about because they're not actually contributing in the world. You know, there's people who, um, and I'll take from a feminist perspective here, when I was still calling myself a feminist and whatnot, feminists would get mad at me for certain things. And I'm like, how about you shut up until you can tell me that you're out there um, volunteering at the rape crisis shelter and 
donating your time and donating your money and donating your energy instead of being just a keyboard warrior. Let me know when you're sitting in front of legislatures giving testimony or sitting in front of school boards or doing this, that, or the other thing and putting yourself actually out there, not sitting behind a fake name on the internet. You know, when you're actually in the line of fire doing the hard work, then you can try to come at me and critique me with the way that I do things. But until then, I don't want to hear anything about it, you know, and I think that that's the, a big that's a big part of the culture of outrage is that everybody wants to be mad, but nobody actually wants to do anything to solve the things that they're mad about. They right. Because be then they can't, yeah, I mean, because then they can't get mad about them. It's the same reason why politicians don't fix the things that they say that they're going right. to fix because then they can't run on it the next time. Right, they can't run on it. And then so if you fix it, then what are you going to be mad about? You might actually have to, like, learn to take a hit. You know? Right. I have to learn painting or you know, gardening or whatever, because they need something to do with your time other than be mad. So. It's just easy. So are we, is that a, is that pretty much a wrap for today? It's, I think so. I think we're at about 90 minutes. So yeah. Kind of yeah. So. That was easy. Well. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was good. I think for our first, our first show, we'll, we'll get more structured with it and we'll get better at this whole production thing. I'll get better at it as far as, doing clips and all that stuff yeah yeah so viewers don't uh don't despair <laughs> no yeah no stay with it that's the beauty they get to see the growth yeah so i'm gonna oh whoops so we should plug our uh so we're on twitter oh yeah um, the twitter address uh and then um, individually, our Twitter handles, I'm at Tasha Rose Grad Ma'am, M-A-M. And then I'm at Garrett Bassel, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, -T, V as in vagina, A-S-C-I-L. Um, and I actually don't have a Twitter, so. So we'll, we'll, we'll get that. We'll, we'll post the links to the Twitter in the video. And yeah, that's... Uh, that about does it. And then, and then we'll be here back uh, on Thursday, 7 o'clock. Yes. Same time on Thursday? Yep. Okay. Until we get really good at this, and then we're doing it every day. So. <laughs> One of these days. Hopefully. So thanks for watching. Uh, for the future people who listen to it and watch it, thanks for checking us out. Okay. Bye, Facebook. All right. And it's in.